It is a privilege to be here with you. Thank you for being here in person. And for all you that are joining us online, uh, I certainly welcome you. Um, I'll tell you what, 360 miles away last week, and I had the privilege of taking this pulpit and 10 feet away from me right now, and uh, pastor's given me the privilege again. I'm not sure right now which one I feel more comfortable with. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I know last week, uh, putting the picture I did of pastor praying for me, I felt very comfortable doing that last week. I'm not sure I would feel as comfortable doing that this week. <laughs> so um, pastor and I have, have been meeting and uh, he has constantly encouraged me. Uh, he says, brother, you know what? He said, uh, whenever you're ready, he said, um, just go off script as much as you can. And uh, so that's how the subject came up when I reminded him yesterday. I said, Pastor, you've been preaching for 30 years. I could hold a glass of water in front of you and you could preach for 45 minutes on it. And uh, he agreed. He agreed. So um, he's, he hasn't put me under any pressure. Uh, I don't think he knows what I'm capable of if I do go off a script. So um, I, I mean that in a funny way. So. <laughs> So um, I have to tell you, church, that this week, above any other week um, that I can remember in recent history in my life, has been a very interesting week at the same time that I'm preaching on evangelism and the gospel. I have had some uh, things happen to me this week. Every single event has put the gospel in front, right in front of my face. And let me see the urgency for it. And uh, I would like to just share a couple of them. Uh, one is a phone call that I received from the Lake County uh, Correctional Agency um, from a, a lady that's very near and dear to my heart. And she told me, she said, I'm going to be going away for some time now. And uh, this is what I really feel after all these years of breaking the law and abusing myself with uh, the way I have, she said, this is what I really need. And, uh, of course, um, that was about as much time as we had to talk on the phone. And uh, then suddenly, um, just like, boom, just like that, uh, my brother this week was walking in his kitchen, and he hit the floor. His wife said it's, it shook the whole house. He just blacked out and went down the next thing you know, he's looking at the paramedics in the hospital. But my point is there that nobody has any guarantee for the very next second. We're here. We can change addresses just like that here on earth and all of a sudden in our eternal destiny. So we can't take anything for granted. And if we think that we have time to build these long relationships with people, before we're able to share the gospel with them. That's, that cancels all of that, because we don't. Uh, nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. And then finally, uh, on Thursday morning, and I've asked Han to put a picture up on the screen when he does. Um, Linda and I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning uh, with uh, the smell of smoke, smoke throughout our apartment building. And uh, we both jumped out of bed, got dressed. I ran out to the hallway to only to look, and there was smoke all over. By this time, firemen were running all through the apartment, knocking on people's doors with urgency, rushing them out of the building. 
telling them everyone needed to get out. And uh, Chris, also the police, were there, and they were, they were doing their job with urgency, getting everyone's name, phone numbers. Uh, it, was, it was something that was very, very alarming. And as I seen these firemen, when we finally made it outside, rushing through the building, knocking on doors with urgency um, and concern, making sure everybody was safe, I couldn't help but think at that time that as Christians, that's the way we need to treat the gospel, with urgency, rushing it to people to help them escape, escape the flames of hell. As Christians, we need to, do, we need to be firemen to the lost, dying world. So today, I would like to continue on the subject of evangelism. Before I start there, though, I want to say one thing. I want to thank Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron uh, for sharing their videos with me and for sending me information uh, that I've asked them for uh, through the mail. And uh, also, uh, Charlie handed out to you um, a piece of paper with 10 questions front and back. These would be the 10 most challenging questions, possibly, that someone would ask you as you're presenting the gospel to them. So take them, read them, look them over. I'm sure a lot of you have seen these questions already or come across them, and uh, this will help you in your evangelizing and presenting the gospel. So don't shut me down, because a lot of this uh, I'm going to be giving to you right now is review from last week. But I've read this over a hundred times, and I could read it a hundred more times. So just stay tuned, and I guarantee you I'm going to land in a totally different place today than I did last week. Evangelism means preaching, announcing, and communicating the gospel, our salvation. It is delivering the message that Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, but he also gave his life in exchange for our sins. Jesus ensured eternal life for anyone who repents and believes. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That verse shuts the door to any other name, to any other means of money or works or good deeds as an avenue to salvation. God's plan for salvation was never meant to be a secret. It was meant to be shared. Studies show that only 2% of Christians share their faith on a regular basis. And 80 to 90% making decisions for Christ are falling away. We learned in the parable in Luke 16 that hell is a permanent destiny and continued torment for those that reject the gospel. In the parable, even the rich man, being in hell, pleaded with Abraham to send someone to warn his, warn his brothers, to go evangelize to them, to tell them of the penalty of rejecting the truth. There are over 162 references in the New Testament alone, warning of hell, and over 70 of them were uttered by Jesus Christ himself. Yet human beings 
walk the earth unshaken by the news. The reason people do not fear God is because they are told God is love. Everything good is God, and everything bad is the enemy. As Christians, we have been given a mandate by Christ to preach the gospel. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And in Matthew, as part of the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. If we love people, we must put legs to the gospel. Last week, we talked about how Jesus evangelized through the law. In Mark 10, 17, a rich young ruler asked Jesus how he could inherit eternal life. Jesus exposed his love for money over his love for his neighbor. Choosing to serve riches rather than God, thus keeping him from God's kingdom. In Romans 3, verse 19 and 20, it says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Under the law here means those that are unredeemed and reject the gospel. So it speaks to those that are under the law so that every mouth may be closed. All the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's clear, right? Perfectly clear. So every unredeemed person is held accountable to the law, which clearly reveals to them their need for a savior. It's the whole purpose of the law. It acts like a mirror for people can look in that mirror, see their sin, and need to see that they need a Savior. There's no other way. The law actually, has a mirror, actually acts as a mirror to reflect our sin. The law leaves us helpless and guilty. We're not saved by the law. Only by God's grace through faith are we saved. So as we evangelize, we need to help people see their sin by pointing them to the law. Love, joy, peace, and prosperity are all attached to false gospels if we do not include true repentance. Love, joy, and peace are fruits of the true gospel, but they should never be used as a draw card when communicating the good news. We must help people understand the consequences of sin. Romans 6.23 reads this way. I think this will be up on the screen. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think we have a, a video for you right now. It's terrifying to know that God is good because we are not. So what does a good God do with people like us? Sinners. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against one another. We've sinned against nature. We've sinned against everything. All of creation calls for our condemnation. If God is truly just, then what does he do with us? If a just God simply 
pardons the wicked. He is no longer just. If a holy God calls the wicked to himself to have fellowship with him, he's not a holy God. So the great question of all the scripture is this, how does a just God pardon wicked men and still be just? How does a holy God call wicked men into fellowship with him and still be holy? And the answer is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. In the cross of Jesus Christ, we see this tremendous, unique revelation of the fullness of God's attributes. God is just. He must condemn our sin. God is love. And so He becomes a man in His Son, lives a perfect life as a man, and then goes to that tree. And on that tree, the sins of His people are cast upon Him. And all the justice of God, all the wrath of God that we deserve is thrown down upon the head of Christ. The exact measure that was required in order to fully satisfy the justice of God. After suffering, Christ said, it is finished. That meant He did what was required to satisfy God's justice against God's people. He paid the price in full. This is so very important to understand that it wasn't that, that our sins were atoned for simply because the Romans beat Jesus up and nailed Him on a cross. Our sins were atoned for because on that tree He bore our sin and it pleased the Lord. It pleased Yahweh to crush Him. The wrath of God that should have fallen upon me and you fell upon His only begotten Son and He suffered it in full. He paid the price. He died for the wages of sin is death and on the third day He rose again from the dead. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. And there is no other name, no other name in any other world. There is no other name uh, given to men whereby we might be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And in order to be saved, the Bible calls all men to repent of their sins and to believe the gospel. So God is so just, he punishes liars, thieves, murderers, adulterers, and idolaters. In John 4, when the woman of Samaria came to draw water at the well, Jesus started a conversation with her and said, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it you being a Jew ask me for a drink? And then in John 4, 13 through 18, Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So I will, be thirsty, so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, right away, he's, he's, here Jesus goes, he's going right from the spiritual right to the natural to expose her sin. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, 
You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And then dropping down to John 4, 28 through 29. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Jesus abruptly turned the dialogue to focus on her real spiritual need for conversion and cleansing from sin. Again, he was using the law to expose her morally depraved life, allowing her to look in the mirror and see her spiritual condition. The law leaves us guilty. The law shows us we are guilty before a holy God. So two scriptures there, the rich young ruler and the Samaritan woman at the well. Both times, Jesus is evangelizing through the law. John 3, 18 through 19 says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. Men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. 160,000 people worldwide are perishing every day. As children of God, we are here on this earth to glorify God. Evangelizing to the lost is a directive from Christ to us. We must obey. God is calling every Christian to reach the lost. I mentioned last week that fear could possibly be one reason we do not talk about the gospel with others. We need to shake off that fear with our compassion. Compassion for the lost must be greater than our fear of rejection. Listen to this letter written by an unsaved friend. My friend, I stand in judgment now and I feel you are to blame somehow. On earth I walked with you by day, and never did you show the way. You knew the Savior in truth and glory, but never did you tell his story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Though we live together here on earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand before eternal hell, because of heaven's glory, you did not tell. Romans 2, verse 15, says the law is written on all men's hearts. The law is written on all men's hearts. So when sin is exposed, the conscience is dealt with. Is everyone following me on that? The mind or intellect is the place of argument. And the conscience is an impartial judge that speaks the truth. A judge that cannot be escaped. This is why it's important to appeal to the conscience. If we go to the mind with somebody, it's, it's, I'm sure we've all done that. And you're just going to end up going down, like I said last week, down rabbit trails that 
you can't get out of. Romans 8, 7 says this, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. The mind set is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. This is why we must stay away from the place of argument, the mind, and not end up going down those trails that we're not going to get out of. God has given all men a conscience, and that conscience speaks to us about right and wrong. The New King James Version in Proverbs 20, verse 6, says, Most men will proclaim each one his own goodness. So next, we have two videos that I want to show you. One, the first one is a short one. The next one is uh, a little bit longer. That if you're a good person, then you will go to heaven. Are you a good person? Yes, I am. Have you lied? Yes, but that doesn't make me a terrible person. Have you stolen in your life anything at all? Yes. So you're a lying thief? Well, I'm a lying thief, but that doesn't make me a killer or a murderer. Have you ever hated anybody? Yes. The Bible says whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Have you ever looked with lust? Yes. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes. What's your name again? Annette. Annette, you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer at heart by your own admission. And you're saying you're a good person when you're not. And that's called self-righteousness. As far as the day that a judgment calls, I think I'll face him and tell him. If, if there's a guy, say, you know, I'll face him and talk to him about it. I mean, God's supposed to be your friend, right? And uh, they ask him if they, um, if they think they're a good person. And, uh, you know, if somebody says that they're a good person, uh, you realize more than likely you have a false convert on your hands and then you could uh, lead them through the Ten Commandments just the way they did there and uh, if you can get a person uh, to admit to their sin then they would realize if they stand before a just holy God on Judgment Day if they think that that God would send them find them innocent or guilty and if they would be you know allowed in heaven or hell and uh, even at that point you would be surprised some people still say heaven because they believe uh, that God is just that good and he would if their God their God would never send anyone to hell right God's their friend so and at that point uh, a, a lot of people um, they will say still to heaven but uh, eventually um, they realize that because of their sin uh, that a just holy God can't let them in so Jesus evangelized through the law. When the law is revealed and sin is exposed, the conscience reveals a guilty verdict. Listen, everything does not have to end up in a victory. I think maybe some of our minds were trained that a successful... Um, a successful uh, evangel evangelistic uh, scene would be that person just getting down on their hands and knees or crying to you. That's, that's the way, you know, a lot of times people would interpret a victory. But really, our job is to present the gospel. And that's it. The Bible says, some sow, some water, 
but God gives the increase. So if we look at those two ways that I presented to you, the rich young ruler who walked away sad, and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, that left her water pot and took off and went back into the town, you basically would look at that and say, that wasn't really a successful witnessing opportunity for Jesus. You would think that that was not a victory. Correct? But let's think about that for a second. Where does the victory actually start? The victory starts when the person can look in the mirror and see their sin. That rich young ruler, he went away sad because he saw the sin in his life. And that Samaritan woman at the well, she went away because she realized she was living in adultery. So her sin, their sins were exposed. That's when God can begin to work on somebody's conscience. True? So those are victories. We may, now if we go back and start thinking about some of the moments we've had, we've actually had a lot more victories than you think about. So I just wanted to point that out. Remember, some plant, some water, God gives the increase. We evangelize to the lost by knowing the gospel. And we present that gospel. We need to be ready at all times to present that gospel to somebody that asks you, what actually is the gospel? I gave it to you last week in a very short version. This time I'm just going to freestand it and give it to you, okay? A loving God sent his son, Jesus, to come and pay the price on the cross for our sin as a sin debt. He took it upon himself in exchange. His righteousness fell on us. He paid a debt he didn't owe. And the debt we owed, we couldn't pay. He did that for us. And in exchange, we get his righteousness. So if we accept that, if we repent of our sins and believe that with all of our hearts, then someday we're standing in judgment or before God, before the Father. He looks at us and he doesn't see our sin. What does he see? He sees Jesus. That's it. That's the gospel in short. However you want to present it. Work it through your head, church. Get it straight. When someone asks you what the gospel is, what is it that you believe in? You can give it to them in two or three sentences. Okay. I'm going to go off script right now. <laughs> you know what? I don't know whether it's my age, maybe my memory, okay, but I don't really think so because I've thought about it long and hard. But over the past five years, as I look at the past five years of my life, I see things like I have never seen before. I mean, the wildfires out west rage every year, and every year it seems like they get worse and worse. And here in the Midwest, the tornadoes erupt, and it seems like 
There's more four and five category tornadoes than ever before. And the morals, our Christian morals, throughout the world are being destroyed. What are we going to get to all of a sudden that Jesus didn't even have to pay the price on the cross because nothing is considered sin anymore? That's the direction it's going. And then recently, in the past two years, we, as a church, as a society, as a world, have had to go through the viruses and all the variances. And the world has been put on fear, in fear. Listen, I, I'm not going to say something. Don't hear something I'm not saying. I think that we need to use wisdom, okay? Because the Bible also speaks against violating wisdom. But you know what? If you've got a healthy body, get back on the front lines. Don't hide out in your barracks. I would much rather be on the front lines and die there and stand before Christ than be in the barracks hiding and a bomb fall in there and then have to go before Christ and explain that. Right? Somehow or other, though, it just seems like these past five years, with everything that I've mentioned, it seems like this would be the greatest hour for us as believers and as a church to get out there and spread the gospel and glorify God. This is it, church. It's time we do that. Right? Doesn't the Bible say, Jesus says, that if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father? Who wants to get to that point? Hmm. So I hope you hear my heart this morning, church, as I speak. I see things all around me every single day that reminds me of the urgency of what we need to get back to. And um, it's, it's, it's just that time again when the church gets out. The church doesn't need to become more like the world. The world needs to get out there. The church needs to get out there, not the world. The church needs to get out there and let the world know the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor, I want to pray with the people, but... Um, I don't know if you want to say a few words first. Okay. All right. Church, let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to pay for our sin debt. And I ask you, Lord, like never before, to move across your church put a fire under the leaders and churches to have the heart for the new, the real gospel. Father, we pray against any false gospels. We thank you, God, that um, you keep us safe each and every day. We ask you, Lord, to raise up more leaders and more pastors and more, more congregants, God. They will not be afraid. They will come out of fear. Be out of fear, Lord. 
to preach the true gospel. We thank you, God, that um, for the compassion that you give us each and every day. I ask you, God, to send us to your word like never before. And thank you, God, for uh, the privilege that we get to glorify you while we have this short time on an earth. May we be like firemen to run out to the world and amongst the lost with boldness and urgency to create more converts for you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, church. It's been a real privilege. Thank you, Pastor.